Our reading from God's Word today is taken from the second chapter of Timothy, verses chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. It's also in 1056 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul to Timothy. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, and without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Good morning. It is good to be together this morning. If you are a friend that is here for our Friends Day, we welcome you, and we are thankful that you're here. We're thankful that you accepted that invitation. We also want to remind everyone that uh, we'll continue Friends Day this afternoon. We'll have a worship at the park at 4 o'clock this afternoon, and uh, we look forward to that time together. It's a wonderful time together. We want to encourage you to uh, begin arriving as early as 3 o'clock if uh, that's convenient for you. Park at the Mount Juliet Middle School. There will be shuttle service running from 3 and continuously throughout the evening, so you don't have to worry about missing the shuttle service coming or going. And then if you need handicapped parking for anyone that that's most convenient, be sure and drive on into the park, and uh, there will be a shuttle service for you there. Also, if you're a member, we want to encourage you to remember to bring your desserts or your side dishes for the hot dog meal that will follow after the 4 o'clock service. We'll enjoy a time together of eating, and then also the kids will have activities, the children will have games to play, and uh, we'll just enjoy visiting together. Uh, for traffic control, what would make things a, a little bit more easily, it's not a huge deal, but it would make things more easily, if uh, you could turn in the street on this side, of the Mount Juliet Middle School, it's Woodward Place. If you'll turn in there and go into the rear entrance of the Mount Juliet Middle School, uh, that'll take you directly to the parking, and we won't have traffic doubling back over each other if we follow that route, but either way is fine, and we look forward to being together. You might want to wear something with sleeves, maybe bring a jacket, uh, but if you dress appropriately, it ought to be just a wonderful, wonderful, enjoyable evening in every way. Uh, we look forward to that time together. If being there is not best or convenient for you, there will be a service here at 6 o'clock, and so keep that in mind also. We also want to let you know that we uh, will have a single mom's car care clinic where we'll be changing the oil and, and uh, cleaning up the car, and it's a way for us to reach out and, and just try to serve our neighbors around us in a way that would be meaningful and have a... Uh, uh, and say and give a good message on behalf of our Lord. We want to just do it in the name of Jesus. There's no cost involved in this. And if you're a single mom that this would benefit, be sure and pick up one of the postcards and it'll give you a phone number to call. Or we also want to be sure and encourage you to pick up a postcard and give it to any 
uh, neighbors that you would have or coworkers uh, that you would have or friends that you would have that would be single moms, that this would be a benefit and a blessing to them. It truly is a blessing to us uh, to be able to do this, and we want to be a blessing to them and being able to do that and help in that small way. God is wonderful, and we've already had mentioned this morning many opportunities that God is giving us to be a part of, and we're thankful for each one of those. Friendship. Friendship is powerful. Friendship is meaningful. You've heard it said many times, I'm sure, but I just want to remind you. Right now, if I said give a list of the five wealthiest people in the world, could you name the five wealthiest? Who won the World Series the last five years? Who won the Nobel Prize in, in recent years? Who's won the Pulitzer Prize in, in recent years? Who, who's won Miss America over the last five years? If we went down these lists to what a lot of time people say, those are grand accomplishments and those are very meaningful and powerful in our world today. You know, the truth is not many of you could name all of those. But the point is this. If we said, who are your five closest friends that have made a real impact on your life? Who are five teachers that have made a huge impact on your life? If you picked up the phone and heard on the other end a message of some tragic news, who would be the first two people that you would call in hoping that you could reach out to them for help or for comfort? Listen, those are the people that makes a powerful impact in your world. Friendship is powerful. We need each other. God did not design life so that we live in in isolation and we live on an island to ourselves. And although there are some that do seek that and prefer that, it's not healthy. And when we look in the scriptures, we see on the other hand that not only do we need others, but others need us. And so we live, hopefully, a selfless life to be able to enrich others' lives But also at the same time, if we truly live a selfless life, others become empowering and enrich our lives also because we let down some barriers and we let down some guards and unselfishness and humility that really make us available to accept it and also available to give it. Maybe when you were a child, you remember your parents telling you that you could go spend the night at one of your best friend's house on Friday night. And you remember that feeling of how you looked forward to it when you were a little kid? And, you, and you know, if you are a little boy, you thought about it, you were going to play video games or you thought about we're going to go out and ride four-wheelers at night. Or if you're a little girl, you thought, hey, we're, we're going to play dolls or we're going to talk about boys. And it was just that feeling of immediately, I'm going to get to be with my friend. You know, at a young age, friendships seem to come natural. But as we get older into the teenage years, we realize that along with friendship comes responsibility. There are things that we can say and do that either enriches a friendship or destroys a friendship. And then we get a little bit older and we become aware of something, if we mature, that is, we become aware of something. That not only do we have a presence, if you will, in a friendship, we can influence the friendship, but then we become aware of something that God told us in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, and that is that friendships influence us. There in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, he made it clear, don't be deceived on this, evil companions corrupt good morals. In other words, if we took 10 individuals right now that, that had a life sentence in prison and, and we said to them, hey, can you just tell us your story? You know what every one of them would have in common? Every one of them would be able to tell about some time in their life where there was someone that they became friends with and that was the point that they got off into the track that landed them in prison. 
But yet if we took 10 faithful Christians and we put them together and we said, hey, can you tell us about your life? Here's who you are today. You're a faithful Christian. How did you get here? Surely all 10 of them would first name God. But after their, their love and appreciation for God, you know what all of them would have in common? All of them would also mention individuals that had an impact that led them to this place. They might mention parents, or they might mention grandparents, or they might mention a friend that, that they grew up with going with them to church, or they might mention a neighbor that had a great influence upon them and, and introduced them to the Lord. They may have a co-worker. You see, the point is friendships bring influence and influence is not only powerful, but when it is righteous, it's beautiful. What kind of friend are you? Isn't it interesting that as we study friendship today, we get to make that choice every day of what kind of friend we are Several years ago, back a few decades, there was a gentleman named Sam Rayburn. Some of you that, that are a little bit older, you may remember Sam Rayburn. He was a House Representative from uh, Texas. He began serving in 1913, and you might say, well, I'm not that old. Well, he served, he served for 49 years. He served from the presidency of Wilson all the way up to Kennedy. As a matter of fact, he served 17 years as a Speaker of the House, the longest tenure of anyone to serve as Speaker of the House. And out of all the things that could be remembered about him, one of the stories that's told often in memory of him is not about some great legislation or some great deed that he did in, as he served in, in, in the House, which, by the way, he was born here in Tennessee and went to college in Texas, and that's what took him over to Texas. But what's interesting is it's a story like this. One particular morning, he had heard of the tragic news of the teenage, of a death of one of his friend's daughters who was a teenage girl. And so early that morning, he knocked on his friend's door, and his friend answered the door, and, and he, he sought to comfort him. And then he said, what can I do for you? And, and the friend said, I don't know of anything you can do now, but thank you for just dropping by. And he said, well, have you had breakfast or coffee? And he says, no, you know, the morning like this, no, we haven't. And he said, well, would you mind? He says, you go about what you're doing, and I'd like to just go in your kitchen, and I'll stay out of your way. And the friend said, sure, go ahead. And so he went into the kitchen, and he began to prepare just a simple breakfast. And then a little bit later, his friend came in, who his friend always called him Mr. Speaker. And his friend came in and said, Mr. Speaker, you forgot about your appointment with the president this morning. And he turned to him and said, no, I didn't. I called him first thing this morning and told him that I wouldn't keep that engagement this morning, that I had a friend who was in need, and I would be with him instead. How powerful and how beautiful is true friendship. Friends, this morning I'm not just talking about acquaintances. I'm not just talking about that person that you see from time to time and you say, oh, I like running into them. I'm talking about people that invest in your life. This morning when we look at the Apostle Paul and the text that was just written, did you notice it was in 2 Timothy? And the importance of that is, is because it's 2 Timothy, it's the point in time in Paul's life that he writes this. This is the last writing of inspiration. It's interesting that we have other epistles that we call Paul's prison epistles, like Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians, and, and Philemon. 
But yet, really, this was another prison epistle, if you will. To our understanding, he was being held in some kind of dungeon, and he knew he wasn't going to get out of this one alive. He knew that he soon would be executed. And he had a young man that he loved dearly named Timothy. And so as he writes this letter to Timothy, there's obvious that there's two pleas going on here. One is for the mission. Paul is is a believer in the Lord. He is a faithful Christian. As a matter of fact, why he is being held there in prison is because he was one of the leaders of the Christian cause. And Nero was such a horrible man, a Roman emperor, emperor that, that, that brought hardship and persecution and ultimately death upon so many Christians. And so it just made sense. If you hated a cause, let's kill one of the greatest leaders that was alive of that day of the cause. And so there Paul is, and he wants to make sure, because Paul loves the mission of Christianity and the Lord, and he wants to make sure that that torch is passed to Timothy and that Timothy keeps it alive. And Paul knew that Timothy was going through, apparently, and we're reading between the lines, but it's pretty direct in between the lines, if I could say that. I know that sounds kind of like a contradiction, but it really seems clear. If you read, if you just sat down right now and you read all of 2 Timothy, I'm sure you'd agree with this. It becomes clear that Timothy was apparently having a little bit of nervousness, maybe even great fear because of all this persecution. He loved Paul. And what's happening to Paul? Paul is going to be beheaded probably. He's definitely going to die of execution. And so it's kind of like if he's a faithful Christian and he's a minister and and I'm a faithful Christian and I'm a minister, is that what is in store with me? And so now we've got a young man that Paul is writing as he's passing the torch, so to speak, and he's wanting to make sure, don't let this flame go out. And so what he does, he addresses two things frequently. Don't be afraid of the persecution. Preach the truth. You see, don't let the persecution hush your mouth, break your heart, detour your faith. But then there's something else in this message. Is it too simple to say this? Paul needed Timothy. He also wrote him this letter as a simple message to say, can you come to me? Isn't that beautiful? I greatly desire to see you. He goes a little deeper and he says, there's this guy, Onesiphorus, and and he comes to me in my chains. You see, in that day and time, a lot of times the only way a prisoner could stay alive was somebody bring him food. It wasn't a prison system like we have today where it's, it's two hots and a cot. It's you better hope you have somebody that can bring you a meal so that as you're sleeping on a stone floor, you can at least stay alive. There wouldn't have been a facility that would have created clean hygiene. He would have been surrounded in a dungeon-like atmosphere with no fresh air, probably a lot of darkness. And in the midst of this, he had Luke. And he had Onesphorus. And then he even says in the fourth chapter, Demas has forsaken me. In the fourth chapter, in verse 16, he even says, When I first stood on trial, everybody forsook me, but I do not want it laid to their charge. What's Paul saying? I simply say that to you this morning, reminding you of the text that we're studying about. Paul is writing a text, and in other words, he's not only saying, Timothy, let's keep this cause of Christianity going, but he's also saying, Timothy... I need you right now. Can you come and be with me at this time? This morning, I want us to just think for just a few minutes. 
What is it that creates a relationship that is so righteous? And by that, I'd like for you just to hear this for a moment. That relationship is so right. Do you have a friendship where that friendship is just right? You can count on that person. You can count on that friendship. It's just what it needs to be. Are you that to somebody? Is is there somebody in your life that they are that to you? That's what all of us ought to desire. And when we have it, we ought to nurture it and we ought to protect it because it's something very beautiful. Because remember, those type of friendships are beautiful and powerful. And so I'd like for you to see the first thing that Paul mentions to a man that he is so close. And by the way, Paul is probably, and there's a lot of guesstimate in what I'm about to say, but pretty good reasons for this type of guesstimate. Paul is probably somewhere around his mid-60s. Imagine if you want to, Paul being 66, maybe 67 years old. And then imagine Timothy probably being in his mid-30s. And so here is, here is a young man that, that Paul is going to write to him And where does he begin? He's very close to Paul. As a matter of fact, in verse 2, he's going to call him his beloved son. So he's like a son to him, spiritually speaking especially. But where does he begin? I'd like for you to notice verse 1 again and notice the authority that Paul writes. And as you think about this, as we read this, just let this be going through your mind. If he was so close to Timothy, and he was, such close friends, why did he begin with verse 1? In other words, if a close friend wrote you and sounded so official... Why would you do that? Well, let's look what he says in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promises of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he says to Timothy, my beloved. But look there at verse 1. Why did he start this way? I believe that what is so important to realize about this was that Paul was reminding Timothy that as he wrote these things, challenging him not to be afraid but, but God didn't give the power, as we've read deeper in the text this morning, that was capably read just a moment ago. Remember, God didn't give the, pow- the, the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. How are you going to say those things to a friend and the friend not say back to you, hey, that's just what you think? How's he going to say, it's worth it, young man, for you to give your life? You know what a young man would say by flesh? Let's call it ace and ace. You know what a young man's going to say by flesh? And let me put this in. In the first century, 66, 67 was ancient. All right? That, that, would have been, that would have been the time that most people would have been dying anyway. And so I want you to think, and, I, and I'm just saying that to bring this out. You know what would have been easy for a young man to say? Oh, sure. You're going to tell me I ought to be willing to give my life, and you've lived a ripe old age. You've lived a full life. Why should I be willing to give my life in my mid-30s when it's time for you to die? You see what I'm saying here? You see what Paul's doing here? Paul is saying, Timothy, I want to tell you some things. There would be no reason for you to believe them except I'm writing by the authority of God. I am writing this to you as an apostle. That meant one that was officially sent when it's apostle of Jesus Christ. I am being officially sent. This message is officially sent to you. And notice what else? It was according to the will. Do you see that in verse 1? The will of God. In other words, this is not, this is what Paul, your good friend, thinks. This is what God would want me to say to you. And notice that third phrase, according to the promises of life. There is a way to live where we can fulfill, or God will fulfill His promises to everyone that lives in that path. And so now, if we come out here and we live outside, you notice that last phrase in verse 1, 
in Christ Jesus. And if you know Paul's writings, he loves that phrase, in Christ. And so he's saying, if we live our life in Christ, we have these promises fulfilled. If we live our life outside of Christ, we don't have these promises fulfilled. And so he says, I'm writing to you, and I'm like an ambassador. I'm an official delegate, if you will, for Jesus Christ. And I'm saying these things by the will of God, that all of these promises will come true in your life if you live your life in Christ. This morning, when you go into Bible class, the shepherding series continues. And this morning, we're looking at if we have a shepherd's mentality toward those that we are over in our lives. What if a husband and a father goes into his home with a shepherd's mentality? What if a mother looks over her children with a shepherd's mentality? What if a grandmother or grandfather views their relationship with their grandchildren with a shepherd's mentality? And that's what we're going to be studying. And what I want you to see by application here with Paul talking to Timothy and with any relationship like this, authority should always come before affection. You know a big problem we have with parents today? And I'm sure it's not new as in just today. We have a lot of parents that would rather be their child's friend instead of their child's authority. It's great to have affection. But if God gives you the role of authority, authority must always preface affection. And when we do that, we can offer the greatest love, the greatest affection that can ever be offered. But when we get that out of whack, out of tune, out of order. It doesn't orchestrate a beautiful life. It doesn't create a life of order. It creates a life of confusion. And so when we think, when we think, what is it that I owe to my children? Or even, what is it that I owe to my friend? You know the greatest gift we can give a friend when a friend calls and says, hey, You've always been a good friend to me. I just need some advice. What if we go back to authority? And we say, you know what? What I'm about to tell you isn't just what I feel. But let me tell you what God says. And listen, when God speaks, it should always be authority in our lives. Now, I realize the world around us will not look at God's word as authority. But please get this. If I'm a Christian, when God speaks, that always becomes authority in my life. In 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, this very same context we're working out of this morning. You remember there in the first four verses, he urges Timothy, preach the word. Even if it's out of season, preach the word. And then the next verse he says, some people are going to have itching ears. They're not going to want to hear the word. But he goes back and this time he says, but speak the truth. You see what what Paul lays out for Timothy? There's going to be some people that all they want is their will to be done. And that's our human nature. And then he says, but what we owe to everyone, including ourselves, is to say, God, not my will, but your will, the truth, the word of God, God's will. All of those are quotes out of 2 Timothy 4. The best gift we can ever give our children, our grandchildren, our friends, even ourselves, is the gift to say, 
I want there to always be authority in our lives. I want God to reign in our lives. Listen, when we're talking with our children, we're talking with our friends, and when we're having those talks with ourselves, if God's principles and God's scriptures are not passing through our mind, we probably do not have the authority that we need in our life. But I'd like for you to notice the second thing. Not only was there authority there in the relationship between Paul and Timothy, but notice in verse 2, the agape, the love that was there. He, we have a comma at the end of verse 1 where he establishes the authority, and then he says, to Timothy, a beloved son, beloved, that's endearing, that's great. That's not just, hey, we've kind of got a, a, a nice relationship, we met each other. No, they've gone on mission trips together. He's known Timothy since Timothy was a young man. He loves him like his own son. And so now we have that love, that agape. He says to Timothy, a beloved son, and notice what he offers to Timothy, grace, mercy, and peace. But notice it's not from him. From God, the Father, and Christ our Lord. What's the greatest thing we can offer to somebody? How strange is this? The greatest thing we can offer to somebody is a gift of love that we ourselves can't give. He says, Timothy, I love you so much. I want you to receive the grace that only God could give. I want you to receive the mercy that only God could give. I want you to receive the peace. Remember Philippians 4, that peace that passes understanding. I want you to have peace in your life that only God could give. Do you know a place where when the sun sets, it's just absolutely amazing? Have you ever taken someone to that place? You know, I, I think about on, on our, uh, my wife Tracy, on her family. We go to the same little state park in western Arkansas. They're from Little Rock. We go to the same state park every year. We've been to the same little cabin that we stay in with her, brother, her sisters and, and her mom and dad, and we've done this very same place, very same little state park for about 17 years now. And it really worked out real well when there were hardly any kids involved. Now that there's like 10 billion first cousins, it's like we kind of just, you know, we're like dominoes in there. And it's still a wonderful thing, and it's beautiful. But you know what? On top, this little state park, it's Mount Nebo. It's on top of a mountain. Mount Nebo probably, right? And it's on top of the mountain. And, and on one end of the mountain, on this little state park, it's only about a mile long. On one end of the mountain is Sunrise Point. And then you go down about a mile in this state park, and it's Sunset Point. It's a tradition that, that every year that we're up there, the night before we leave, we always go down to Sunset Point. And it's just amazing. I want you to imagine that there's a place like that where you know that when somebody sees it, they're just going to be in awe. And I want you to imagine saying, I want to, I want to give you a little gift this afternoon. What is it? Oh, you're just going to have to go with me. I want, I want to give you this gift. Come on. We'll, we'll meet up at 6 o'clock and, and we'll get there. And, and when you get there, what you're actually giving them is really from God. You didn't do that. You didn't make the sun set like that. You didn't make that beautiful mountain or that beautiful lake you're looking across. It was God who's doing all of this. And all you're doing is saying, I want to take you to see a gift from God. Please get this. The greatest gift we will ever give anyone is saying, I want to take you and I want you to see a gift from God. And it could be a sunrise or a sunset, but I want to take you and show you something more beautiful. I want to show you God's grace. I want to show you God's mercy. I want to show you God's peace. 
And friends, when we do that, we are the ultimate friend. And of all the things that Paul could have wished for Timothy, he didn't wish for Timothy a long life. Timothy, I hope you have a, a, big, a, a big retirement fund. Timothy, I hope you have oodles of retirement homes. What did he want for Timothy? The greatest thing that he wanted for Timothy was, I want you to receive from God his grace, his mercy, and his peace. But notice this, and we've got to wrap up. I'd like for you to look in verse 3. See the appreciation? I thank God. Notice he didn't say, Timothy, I thank you, which would have been all right. Timothy had been a good friend. But he realized where great friendships come from. And so he literally says, Timothy, I'm thanking God for you because you're such a good friend to me. And then he even says, and I do it night and day. This afternoon, this afternoon, will you please stop sometime this afternoon? And when I said, like, who's your five best friends? When I said, who is it that you would call, that you would always turn to? Will you stop this afternoon and say a prayer to God in thanksgiving for them? We should never take friendships that are righteous for granted. We ought to thank God for them. But then notice that affection in verse 4. Greatly desiring to see you. But he has something in his mind. The last time he saw them, there must have been tears involved. And so now what he wants is he wants joy to be involved. When you see your friends cry, you don't get that out of your mind anytime soon. The Bible doesn't tell us what happened that Paul is referring to when he says, I remember the tears the last time I saw you. But he does say this, just as you needed me then, he's implying, I need you now. Can you come and can you bring joy to me? We truly, truly need each other. And then in verse 5, he doesn't close by saying, I'm so worried about you, Timothy. I don't think you're going to make it through all this persecution that you're going to have to endure. Instead, he affirms him. In other words, here's the older man saying, Timothy, I believe in you. I believe that your faith is genuine. I know your mother and your grandmother. I know the faith they had. And I'm persuaded that that same kind of root system spiritually is in your life also. Friends, we need somebody to believe in us. What did I learn this morning? We all need authority in our life. The best friend we can be is a friend that takes individuals back to the authority of God. Second, I've learned that the greatest love is to point someone toward the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the peace of God. And third, I've learned that we really do need each other. It's not just something cute to say. It's a fact. We need each other, and God teaches us best how to do it. This morning, is there any way that that we can help you? Is there any way that we can encourage you to be a friend of God? Is there any way that we can be a better friend to you? Maybe this morning you simply need prayer. There's things going on in your life and you just want a church family praying for you. Maybe you want to come back and rededicate your life. Maybe you want to be baptized into Christ. Let's be the best friends that we can be and we want to take the time now to do that. And so if there's anything that we can do to befriend you, please come as we stand, as we sing.